believe about God, what you 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 believe about God, what there is no other decision in life you will ever make that is more important than your decision about Jesus Christ. What you believe about God. What you believe about Jesus Christ. The number one most important thing you'll ever decide. What you believe about God. What you believe. It's important. What you believe about God. It eclipses every other accomplishment you'll make. Every other achievement you'll make. Every other decision you make pales in comparison to this number one decision. What do you think about Jesus? What you believe. Who is he? What significance does Jesus' life have on your life? That's eternally significant. It's important. Now, we're here in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. Turn with me in our Father's Word. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. Maybe you've received one of our mailers. You were invited because we sent out an invitation to you, and you've come to maybe check out what's happening here. Something inside of you that God has placed in there has given you a hunger for himself, so you've come. What you believe about and the difficult thing for me is the passage that I'm preaching on today. It's a hard passage to preach on. In fact, it's one of the most difficult to preach on. If it were up to me and we were meeting for the very first time, I probably wouldn't take you to this particular passage. However, something you need to know about me, something you need to know about Grace Fellowship is that we do not sanitize the Bible. It doesn't need any cleaning up. We don't censor the Bible. There are not portions that we stay away from and other portions we gravitate toward. I'm not interested in giving you a motivational speech. I'm interested in providing you with motivation that comes from knowing about God and His Word. And I'm a firm believer, and we believe this firmly at Grace, that if it's in the Bible, it's there because God wants you to know it. If it's in the Bible, it's there because God wants you to see it. He wants you to hear it. He wants you to feel it. He wants you to heed it. He wants you to get it into your lifestyle. That's why it's here from Genesis to Revelation. If it's in the Bible, we teach it because we love you. Even though we might not know you, even though this might be the first time that we're meeting, you and me. Even if you're listening by podcast and you've never set foot inside of our church building yet, the truth is that we love you. We care about you. The truth is that God loves you. He cares about you more than all the people in this church combined. God's love for you is greater. And because of that, we must. The love of God compels us to teach each other the Word of God. The love of God compels us, urges us, prompts us, nudges us, overflows within us that we must teach you the full counsel of the Word of God. And so when we get to a passage of Scripture like this, that's tough. On the heels of a passage of Scripture from last week, which was tough. We don't shrink away from it because we know that it's here for a reason. It's that you might hear, that you might see, that you might understand, that you might heed, that your lifestyle might be different because what you believe about God will be different having heard. What you believe about God will be different having seen. What you believe about God will be different because you will have encountered Him, not because I say so, but because the Word of God says so. And Luke chapter 10, verse 13, 
believe about God. Jesus begins with a heavy what you believe word. about God. What you believe about Whoa. God. What you believe about God. What you believe about Woe to you, Corazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Now Jesus is not horseback riding. What you believe about God. He's not dealing with an, a runaway horse. He's dealing with a runaway people. What you believe about God. Woe to you, Corazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We are in the middle of a send-out here at Grace Fellowship. Hopefully, if you're listening by podcast, you're part of a church home where you are involved in a send-out, where the Spirit of God is moving genuinely. The Spirit of God is moving where more and more of us are hearing what Jesus is teaching. More and more of us are catching God's vision to change lives. We're rolling up our sleeves. We're getting off of the bench, getting into the game, making ourselves available as Jesus is moving and we are moving with him. That's what a disciple does. A disciple moves with Jesus. Jesus is moving. We're moving with him. We're doing that at Grace Fellowship. Hopefully, if you're listening by podcast and you're in a church that you're happy with, you're satisfied with, maybe in another part of the world, hopefully you are moving with Jesus, not resisting him as the people of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum were. It's a movement of the Spirit of God in Luke chapter 10 because Jesus has sent out the 72. He has sent them out, apparently, to cast out demons. We know that because we don't get any details of what happened. We just get the aftermath when they come and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus has to help them come to terms with what's really important, being amazed at the power of Jesus flowing through them. It's not their power. It's the power of Jesus. He's just given them authority. Try to stop a Mack truck in an intersection. You have no power to stop a Mack truck. But a policeman, he doesn't have any power either. What you believe about God? What you believe about God? What you And they have been given authority to represent Jesus Christ so that even the demons, the arch enemy, Satan and his henchmen, demons, have no ability to overcome Jesus. This is a send out. We are in the middle of a send out. Jesus is telling them, you're going to go to people who are going to reject you, but I'm still sending you. Last time together, Jesus said it's going to be more bearable for Sodom on that day. Speaking of the day of judgment, there is a day coming for you and for me and for everybody who's got a heartbeat and brainwaves. Every single one of us, there's a day coming. It's called Judgment Day, where God will judge you. He will judge me. He will judge cities and towns and nations. That's what Jesus is referring to. He really 
really believed Jesus. Jesus really believed that there was a day of judgment. It will be more bearable on that day for Sodom. Verse 12, he said last time together. It will be more bearable on that day for Tyre and Sidon. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. What you believe about This is the area that Jesus is speaking about, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, where Jesus had based his ministry. The Galilean ministry of Jesus as now he's transitioning and he's going to Jerusalem. And his ministry is now swollen, kind of like what's happening here at this church. As the Spirit of God moves, more people get involved, the ministry grows, the momentum continues, and that's what's happened here with Jesus. And he's sending out not just 12, as he did in chapter 9, now he's sent out 72. And those 72 are to go and they are to preach repentance, which is turning from sin. And they have been given authority to cast out demons, and they have been given authority to heal the sick, to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. And that is your calling and my calling as a follower of Jesus Christ. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. We're the ones who have changed things. The marching orders are the same. The commissioning of Jesus Christ is the same. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a disciple and not a dabbler, your calling and my calling is the same, to build the only kingdom that will last forever. Many people are building kingdoms today, but they're not eternal. Many people are spending time building things that look like they're important, look like they're significant. They even do it in the name of Jesus. But they're not important. How do I know that? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not X, Y, and Z? And Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We would think that isn't it significant to do the work of ministry? I mean, here they're casting out demons, even the demons submit. Doesn't that evidence that somebody's walking with Jesus because of supernatural power? No, that's not evidence of that. What's evidence that you're walking with Jesus is that you repent. What's evidence that you and I, somebody is walking with Jesus is that their lifestyle is different. Jesus did not condemn Sodom. He did not commend Gomorrah because of their sensuality. Yes, they were guilty of sexual perversion, yes. But that is not the ultimate reason why they were condemned. In Genesis 19, when the fire and the brimstone comes down, the reason why Sodom and Gomorrah were condemned is because they refused to repent. Yes, it's sexual perversion, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes, we covered that in our last time together. Don't let anybody who's smoking something strange and blogging in their underwear try to convince you otherwise. Read the Bible. Read all of the Bible. Listen to our message from last time together if you hadn't. Their primary sin was sexual immorality. Were they inhospitable? Yes, they were, but that's the least of their sins. The reason why God judged Sodom is because they refused to repent. There is one sin that will send you into an eternity separated from God. It is the sin of refusing to receive Jesus and repent from your sin. That's it. Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the deeds done in you were done in Tyre and Sidon, pagan villages associated in the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah, Ezekiel chapter 26, verse 3. Look with me at Ezekiel chapter 26. You can read Ezekiel 26, verse uh, chapter 26. 
27, chapter 28, and you can get more of a picture here, but this is just a thumbnail. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Ezekiel 26, 3, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. And you can read, look at the next verse, or we're going to go to, um, I want to go to the next verse. Where is the next verse to? Can we, we have verse 4 up there? No? What you believe about God? What you believe about They shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers, and I will scrape her soil from her and make her a bare rock. That's how God dealt with Tyre. In a similar way, God dealt with Sidon the same way. These were groups of people, gatherings of people, cities, towns, areas that had refused to repent. You can be a gossip and refuse to repent and go to hell. What you believe about God? What you believe about God? You can be a slanderer. It's not just sexual immorality that concerns God. It's a lifestyle that refuses Jesus and then invites the change that only Jesus can bring. You've got problems in your life? Welcome to the club. Jesus is the answer. The bad news is that you can't help yourself. That's right. Get over it. That's why Jesus has come. That when you receive Jesus, you have all of the power that Jesus has, all the authority to begin living differently. It's not necessarily going to happen overnight, although some people have had miraculous, instantaneous conversions. The truth is, every conversion is miraculous. We're all on a journey. Some of us stop doing certain things and start doing other things that we should do sooner than others. But what there must be in your life and mine, if we are true followers of Jesus Christ, true disciples, there must be a transformation taking place, the fruit of repentance. Notice what Jesus says in verse 13. Luke chapter 10, 13. If the mighty works done in you, where Jesus had based his ministry in Galilee, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth, that's from 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 27, for example. One of the multiple examples in Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 27, it was an outward, visible thing that you could see if somebody was in the process of repenting. They would wear this dark garment called sackcloth. If you were wearing it, you would know. Kind of like when I was a kid and my mother wanted to put a sweater on me. You did not put a sweater on little Mike because I scratched and itched and got uncomfortable even as you could feel it now. Can you not go back in the time machine with me? And see my mother buying me a nice sweater and convincing me of how it was nice, soft wool. There's no such thing as soft wool. If a person put on sackcloth, it was to be a perpetual reminder to them, making them uncomfortable. Why uncomfortable? Uncomfortable with their sin. If you are interested in following God, you must be uncomfortable with your sin. That's one of the evidences that you're really following Jesus. You can't get closer to God. Recognize how pure and holy he, he is and how much you fall short of his purity and his wholeness. Well, if you wore sackcloth, that would be a continual reminder for you to be in a process of repenting, turning from your own ways, turning from your own desires, turning from your own priorities, turning from your own direction in life, and completely, perpetually, perpetually, in an ongoing way, moment by moment, day after day, 
following Jesus. You would wear the sackcloth. And everybody who saw you would be able to recognize based on what you're wearing, that person is in the process of repenting. And what Jesus says here, he's got a group of people who have seen his miracles. They've heard his teaching. They have seen the miraculous signs and wonders. And now Jesus is sending out 72 on his behalf with authority to do the same things that he did on his behalf. And Jesus is warning them ahead of time and saying, listen, don't make a mistake in thinking that because I'm sending you, people are going to jump up and down and be excited and receive you and repent. I know in advance before I even send you, they're not going to repent. However, they will be accountable to me on that day of judgment. And they will not escape. Tyre and Sidon didn't escape. Sodom did not escape. And neither will any town, any village, any nation, any individual who rejects Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of this passage. In the same way that God judged the nations, the towns, the villages, the people for rejecting him and refusing to repent, regardless of what the sin is. If you're caught in sin and you're not interested in repenting, you need to repent of that attitude. If you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're not concerned about your sin, something is wrong. Either you have spiritual amnesia, there's a disconnect, or maybe your repentance in the first place wasn't saving repentance. That begins you, sets you on a course of a changed lifestyle. Jesus is helping us understand. He's helping the people understand just as God judged people impartially based on whether or not they accepted him or rejected him, so God will accept or reject individuals based on what they think about Jesus Christ. Their receptivity to Jesus Christ. So you have to understand, I have to understand, based on what the Word of God teaches, God definitely judges towns and villages and nations and people. And He judges them based on what they do with Jesus. This nation of ours is in the process of being judged. It's not like it's going to be judged in the future. It's already happening now. The tides have turned. We have leaders in place who don't want to follow Jesus, and therefore, they're rejecting Jesus. I don't care what you say about revisionist history. This country definitely was stronger in its support of the Bible and Christian principles and its foundation than it is today. And I would debate anybody in York, Pennsylvania, any part of the world, just pay my airfare. I'll debate you tooth and nail about the historical truth about this nation, the United States, being founded on Christian values. Imperfect men? Yes. Find me a perfect man. Bring him on the platform. What you believe about God? What you believe about God? Not possible. What you believe about God? What you believe about God? What you people who had gross areas of sin in their life? Yes. What you believe about God? What you believe about God? But were they on a journey like you and like me? That's the point. It's a journey of repentance, my friends. What you believe about God? It's not just that we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, and that's it. It's a continual walk in the ways of God. I walk toward the ways of God, a walk away from the ways of Satan. There are lines drawn here in this passage of Scripture. Jesus is making it abundantly clear that we have an arch enemy. His name is Satan. The demons are affiliated with him. We'll get to that in a moment. But before we do, I want to talk about this world that you and I live in. Because Friday, I was doing something that maybe you do. 
Some of us do it better than others because of the equipment we have. Channel surfing. Now you know exactly what I'm talking about because some of you have much better equipment than I have. My equipment might be better than yours, but I was channel surfing. And I got to this program that I deliberately watched as much as I could for 90 seconds because I need to be educated as a pastor. I need to know and be reminded again and again as a pastor that on any given time, 70% of the men who are listening to what I'm saying or gathering in a church service, whether it's here or elsewhere, are involved in looking at inappropriate things on the internet. And it can be as innocent, can start off as innocent as going on Facebook, updating your profile, catching up with people, because there are fish hooks all along the right-hand side of Facebook with women dressed inappropriately that want you to click on it. That's the bait that's out there. Want you to meet interesting singles in your area. Only problem is they look a lot better on the internet than they will in person. What you believe about God? 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 Your eyes need to be in a perpetual state of repentance. What you believe about God? What you believe about God? It could be on the internet. It can be on television. As I was channel surfing, 90 seconds, I watched a program that was okay for me because I'm much older than 14 years old. It was TV 14 approved. That means anybody of the age of 14 or older could watch it. So I was in safe territory, wasn't I? I mean, can't I trust people in the world to tell me what's appropriate and inappropriate for me to watch? Can't you as a parent trust what the world says is appropriate for your 14 or 15-year-old to watch? I mean, that's why those ratings are there, so that you can snooze and farm out the responsibility that you and I have as parents and guardians to watch over our children. If you do that, if you think that it's appropriate for somebody to watch a movie or a television program that is TV-14 approved, and you allow that to be your screening system to watch, for your children to watch, I need to show up to your house tonight with a baseball bat and prove it to you otherwise. I need to knock some sense into you by helping you understand how important repentance is. It's not just important. It's imperative. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to repent. You've got to keep repenting. I repent continually, perpetually, every day, every moment, and I never, ever arrive. I read a passage of scripture like this, and I say, woe to you, Mike. What was the program that I was watching on television, you're saying, about a psychiatrist and a police detective, and the psychiatrist being involved in helping solve these crimes of cannibalism, a program that if I were to ask by show of hands, based on statistics, some of you have been watching a program called Hannibal. And I just have to say that if you are watching a program like that and think that it's okay because it's TV 14 and then you want to draw close to Jesus and you don't have a problem with that, see, most of the time when I talk about issues, I talk in general terms and hope that you connect the dots and dot the I, dot the I's, cross the T's. But I have to say specifically, if you watch that program, as satanic and evil and diabolical as it is, I can tell you that the Holy Spirit didn't lead you to do that because it dishonors God. I saw things in 90 seconds that I am having a hard time getting out of my mind. Now, you say, I don't watch that program, but do you watch other things that the world says is okay to watch? Is Jesus Lord over?
over your eyes? Is he Lord over your heart? Is your lifestyle demonstrating a walk of repentance that follows Jesus? This nation is being judged because of the leaders that we have. They're making decisions that don't glorify God. They don't even want, they're not even interested in the God of the Bible. They're not. And so God cannot bless those people who reject him. He can't. It's Bible 101. What you believe about God, what you believe about God, what you believe about God. And part of the thing that you and I have to understand is that if we are disciples of Jesus, if we are those who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, then repentance has to be your modus operandi. You should be in a continual state of repenting before your spouse and apologizing. Yes, you should. You will never arrive, men, at being the ultimate example for your wife to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's what you're supposed to be as a husband, though, a representative of the love of Jesus Christ, the unconditional love of Jesus Christ for his bride. You will never arrive at a husband. As a husband, you will never arrive at the point where you can say, been there, done that, moving on to greener pastures. Wives, you will never arrive at the point where you are submitting to your husband as the church submits to Jesus Christ to the degree to which you will when you're out of this world and in the presence of Jesus person. You're working out your salvation. It's in a process of you being transformed. That's called repentance. Of course the world is attacking this whole idea of submission. Because marriage is supposed to be the ultimate reflection of God's love for his people. And so if you attack the ultimate expression of God's love for his people, then God's people can't think rightly about God. They'll think wrongly about him. You think wrongly about God. You have problems worshiping and living. What you believe about God is the single most important thing about you. What you believe about God. If you have a smartphone, and you have difficulty with accountability, there's free accountability software you can get on the internet. TripleXChurch.org is one of them. Free accountability software. Free means no strings attached. If you're a parent or a guardian and you give your children rarely supervised use of a smartphone or a smart device thinking that they're mature enough? Listen, let me help you understand. There are plenty of full-grown men and women who are addicted to pornography. If a full-grown adult can have struggles with looking at inappropriate things on a smartphone, on a tablet, as well as the internet, then how much more for children? Are you that naive to think that simply because the world says it's okay to watch, that Jesus says it's okay to watch? Jesus' teachings are serious where he's saying, if you're going to follow me, you've got to be serious about following me all the time in every area of your life. It's called repentance. And it begins the moment you give your life to Christ. It begins the moment you give your life to Christ. Realize that he died on the 
the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Realize that he died on the cross for the transformation of your sinful life. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. It's not possible for a town. Based on what Jesus says right here. It's not possible for a group of people. It's not possible for a nation to reject Jesus, to go their own way and not incur the judgment of God. We're under judgment as a nation and the worst is yet to come. The worst is yet to come. I wish I didn't have to communicate that news. I'm sure that Jesus wishes, wished at least some point, humanly speaking, that he didn't have to bear that bad news to the 72 that he was sending out in a time of excitement that the movement of God is advancing and he's sending out 72 and he says, well, I'm sure Isaiah and Jeremiah, the prophets in the Old Testament, didn't appreciate the fact that God was sending them to, to, to tell the people the same message that has it's continued today. Turn from your own ways and turn to God and follow him. It's a heavy message. It's a hard message. But because God loves you and does not want to judge you, because God loves me and does not want to judge me, he gives us the opportunity to change our ways, to follow him, so that he doesn't have to treat us like Tyre and Sidon. So he doesn't have to treat us like Sodom. Yes, your gossip is important. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. It's bad. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. Just as bad as sexual immorality in God's eyes if it's not repented of. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. That's the sin that will keep you from being in the presence of God forever. A refusal to repent. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. Now it's easy. Interesting here what Jesus says. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. Where he talks about Satan. What you believe about God. Disciples come to him. The 72 come. Verse 17, Luke chapter 10. The 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Probably a reference to Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12. This is something that the Apostle John, the writer of Revelation, says. Let's look at Revelation chapter 12. This is something that the Apostle John gives us privilege to seeing, but Jesus saw it. He saw the end, even at the beginning. Jesus was able to see this situation, which we have insight into because it's written by the Apostle John, something that was yet to happen for him, but yet Jesus sees the end, even at the beginning. Now war arose in heaven, verse 7 of Revelation chapter 12. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan. We see that in the book of Genesis, that the serpent was more cunning than any other animal because it wasn't just a serpent. It was this guy, the devil. He's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Demons, evil spirits, wicked spirits. Jesus says, I saw Satan. I saw that. You might not have seen it yet as he's speaking to the 72, but I saw it. The kingdom of God is advancing and the arch enemy is opposing it. His name is Satan and his demons. Now, if you have ever cast a demon out of somebody, I have done that on several occasions and maybe you've done that too. The first time, it's really a wow factor. 
pressure for you because you can't believe, hey, this stuff works. You rebuke a wicked spirit that's operating in somebody and the spirit speaks out of that person and you're like, wow, this stuff works and they have to leave. And Maybe that's happened with you. Maybe you've done that. The first time, second time, you're kind of like, wow. It has nothing to do with you other than your relationship to Jesus. And the 72 come back just mesmerized over the fact that they're able to do something that they were not able to do. And it's because of Jesus and because of their relationship with Jesus that they're able to do this. And Jesus says, oh, the demons. Yeah. Satan's kingdom is about to receive the death blow. I saw the leader of them all fall like lightning from heaven. And then Jesus helps them understand, helps them cross over from their self-centered, inward-looking approach to life. Helps them come outside of themselves for a moment, get a view from the top down, and he says, don't rejoice over the fact that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. Verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you realize what you believe about God? Do you realize what you believe about God? What you believe about God? Have you really spent time contemplating this truth from the mouth of Jesus? What you believe about God? That some people's names are written in heaven. What you believe about God? 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 72, their names were written in heaven. What you believe about God? What you Part of the movement of the Spirit of God, if you are following Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, and your life is characterized by a walk in repentance where you're continually asking God to take you deeper, take you higher, not for selfish gain, but for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Do you realize that your name is written down in heaven? Look at Revelation chapter 20. Look with me at Revelation chapter 20. Beginning in verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. This is the judgment of God. Jesus on the throne, if we were to look at the rest of the book of Revelation, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Now you might say, let's go to the next verse, 13. Well, doesn't that sound like it's based on whether I'm a good person or a bad person? Listen, when you take the full counsel of Scripture, you will understand that you start doing things differently because of your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not the things that you do for Jesus that make you a good person and better than the next person. It's saving faith in Jesus Christ that produces a change of lifestyle, change of behavior in you. So of course the things that you do are going to be significant in light of the judgment of God because the things that you do are a reflection of what you really believe about God. Do you not understand that what you believe about God is the single most important thing about you? What you believe about Jesus is the single most important thing about you? Because that, your decision about that, your decision about the person of Jesus Christ is going to be the number one influencing factor of everything you do in your life and everything you don't do in your life. So of course you will be judged by the things that you do because the things that you do will reflect what you really believed about Jesus. 
believe about God. What you believe about God. It's not one or the other, it's both. What you believe about God. You can't work your way into heaven. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross. But once you receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you begin living differently. You walk in a lifestyle of repentance. So of course you can't separate what you do from who you are. That's why sin is temporary insanity. When you really understand who Jesus is, when you really understand who you are in relationship to Jesus, all sin is temporary insanity. In Italian, we would say stupidity. Look again, Revelation 2013, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were what? They were judged. Each one of them according to what they had done. There it is again, verse 14. The, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Verse 15. And if anyone's name, impartiality by God, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The second death is eternal separation from God. The first death, we all experience it as a result of being related to Adam and Eve, part of the human race. They were kicked out of the garden experiencing the first death. Spiritual death is separation from God. That's why you must repent. I must repent. Every single one of us must repent and accept the death of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Otherwise, you are still a walking dead man, a walking dead person. The first death in sin, you're conceived in your mother's womb. We were kicked outside of Eden. The whole human race kicked outside of Eden. That's what we're waiting for, the return of Jesus Christ. The first death, spiritual death, the guilt of sin. The second death is when your heart stops beating. Your brain waves wave their last. Your life on earth is over, and then you go into an eternity separated from God. The lake of fire separated from God forever and ever. Why would God send somebody into a lake of fire forever and ever? Listen, the truth is, you have more say in that matter than you might realize. All God's asking of you and me is that we would repent. Accept Jesus. Don't be like Tyre and Sidon who didn't repent and were judged. Don't be like Sodom who kept on doing what they were doing regardless of what God wanted them to do and change. Don't be like Bethsaida and Chorazin and Capernaum where Jesus ministered. They were able to see what he did and hear what Jesus taught. Don't be like those people who just didn't care and went on their own way because anybody who rejects Jesus, anybody regardless of great and small, we read it in Revelation, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they achieve on this planet, regardless of how much money they have, prestige, notoriety, God has no respect for persons, anybody and everybody who rejects Jesus Christ rejects God. How do I know that? Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, verse 16, the one who hears you, saying to the 72, hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. If you reject Jesus Christ, you're rejecting God himself. And when you reject God himself here on this earth, if you don't repent, if a person, no matter who you are, does not repent, 
believe about God. What you, you are choosing what you by your own God. will, what you not God's. What you believe about God. What you, you are choosing by your own will. To experience a second death. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. What you. You're choosing by your own will and rejecting Jesus, rejecting everything about God, rejecting everything about Him, and you are actually embracing Satan, embracing this world system, because Jesus draws the line and He says it's Satan. And those demons that you've been casting out, or it's me. What you believe about God. What you can't kind of follow God. What you believe about God. What you you're either embracing who Jesus is, growing in your understanding of who Jesus is, and allowing Him to change more and more of your life, or you're not you're either not saved in the first place, or you're deceived, and your heart has become hardened because you're allowing yourself to go places and do things that Jesus doesn't want you to go. Doesn't want you to do. Your heart is becoming hardened. You're cheapening the grace of God. You're making it a license to be able to walk away from Him, and that is not a walk in repentance. That's a walk, a lifestyle of sinfulness. Excuses. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. There are some people whose names are written in heaven. What you believe about God. And the reason why their name is written in heaven is for no other reason than they have repented and accepted who Jesus Christ. Christ is. What you believe about God. 72 what are evidence of that in a small sense of teachability. These are 72 who Jesus says their names are written in the book of in heaven. In the book that we see in Revelation chapter 20, their names are written there for no other reason than having given their lives to Jesus Christ. God is a God who judges. He is. He's also a God who saves. And you have a say in the matter as to whether or not you want to have your name written in that book or whether or not you want nothing to do with Jesus. And whether or not you have something to do with Jesus should be manifest in the way you're living your life, in the way I'm living my life. None of us has arrived. We're all in a, on a journey. We're all in process, every single one of us. Some of us have sin issues which are more difficult to overcome than others, but they're all sin issues. And the Spirit of God God working in us when we give our lives to Christ is the one who gives us the authority not only over demons, but the authority over your own sin. If Jesus can take care of demons and evil spirits, he can certainly take care of whatever it is that you're facing in your life. No matter how big, no matter how difficult, no matter how scary it might seem, it does not scare Jesus. And if you're aligned with Jesus, you don't have to be afraid either. The only thing you have to be concerned of is an unrepentant life because that is the kind of a life that God will not accept. He will not condone it. Look at verse 21 of Luke 10. In that same hour, he, Jesus, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. The little children aspect. Be very careful in your walk with God that you don't mature to the point that you're no longer like a little child. Jesus wasn't sending out teenagers, 14-year-olds, 13-year-olds. These were most likely men who were a little bit older at least. Be out away from their mother and father, their mommy and daddy. But yet Jesus called them little children. 
you must God? always you maintain your youthful naivety, your godly naivety for following Jesus. When you begin to debate with God about what he wants to do in your life, where he wants to take you, it could be a sign that you're growing up too fast in a direction you shouldn't be going. There should be a sense of godly naivety as characterized by the innocence of a child who believes an adult. The innocence of a child who believes an adult when it comes to your walk of surrender with Jesus. He says, I praise you that you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And then in verse 23, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What is Jesus talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, we read these words. In reference to the Old Testament, in reference to the books written in the Old Testament about the Messiah, about Jesus, it says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And that would mean us today. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you, that's the gospel, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The people in Jesus' day of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum saw the miraculous things that Jesus did, heard the miraculous teachings of Jesus, and yet they did not have the wherewithal, the humility, the intelligence, whatever you want to call it, to repent and to realize that God was moving in their midst. And so they were facing judgment by Jesus. And yet Peter says in 1 Peter 1 that we now have an even clearer understanding, an even clearer understanding as to the times and circumstances of who Jesus is than the people in Jesus' day because we have the scriptures that help us understand with even more clarity. Now, if God would not spare Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum and Sodom and Tyre and Sidon because they wouldn't repent, and in Jesus' day, when they saw his miracles and heard his teaching, if God wouldn't relent because they refused to repent and was going to bring judgment on them, then what about you and me who understand the things about Jesus that they didn't even understand? None of us is without excuse. Jesus says, blessed are you in Luke chapter 24 on the road to Emmaus. Look with me at Luke chapter 24, verse 24. Easy to remember, 24, 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. In other words, Jesus isn't in the tomb anymore. But him they did not see. Verse 25, 
by it. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, referring to the Old Testament. Was it not necessary that the Christ or the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory, speaking about the crucifixion and the resurrection? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All of scripture points to Jesus, his finished work on the cross, his resurrection from Genesis up to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and then from Matthew, the first gospel, all the way through the book of Revelation. It's all about Jesus. Why? Because what you believe about Jesus is eternally significant. What you do, what I do with Jesus is eternally consequential. It eclipses every other decision we make in life. Every other accomplishment we have in life is going to be measured according to what we did and what we did not do with Jesus. It's all about the superb nature, the superb identity, the nature of Jesus being God, that God would become human and take on your sin and mine so that we don't have to be judged, but we could be saved. The only people who experience a second death are those people who want to reject Jesus. Those people who see what you believe about God. What you see. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. Hear what you believe about God. What you hear. What you believe about God. And refuse to repent. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. Jesus says, blessed. What you believe about God. Blessed. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. What you see. What you For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. And to hear. What you believe about God. What you hear. What you believe about God. What did not hear. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. If you know the story of Jesus dying on the cross, and you rediscovered now the reality of repentance being in keeping with the faith that you say you have, what you believe about God. What you believe. It could be said of you the same thing of me and anybody. What you believe about God. Blessed are you. Who see what you see. What you believe about God. What you Blessed are you who hear what you hear. For many kings, many prominent people over many generations longed to see what you believe about God. What you believe about God. What you believe about God. They longed to hear what you believe about God. 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 You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. What you believe about God? What you believe about God? What you believe about God?